Today we have Eric Hemmingson, who's uh, talking on childhood obesity. He's a, a researcher on this topic at the Swedish School of Sport and Health Sciences. This institute, I believe to be the oldest sports sciences institute in the world, it was founded in 1813. Eric himself has not worked on obesity since 1813, but he has worked on it for over 20 years. His doctorate work at the University of Bristol, and he finished his medical doctorate again on obesity at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm in 2007. So he's published deeply on this issue in the academic world. He's written a popular science book on healthy weight maintenance, which was published in Sweden in 2008. Eric, I hope I don't embarrass you by saying that I believe you to be one of the truly original thinkers in the field of obesity studies, and it's a great honor to have you come and speak to our group today. Eric. Well, thank you very much, Stanley. That was a very flattering uh, introduction, I should say. I'm very happy to be here and uh, share some ideas on obesity and particularly the social origins of obesity, which uh, is where I've been spending uh, more and more time. And Stanley is involved in this work as well. And uh, we're hoping to uh, make some inroads into understanding really the links between social adversity and uh, obesity development. Today, just a very brief talk on, uh, on this recent work, but also some previous uh, investigations on, on these uh, issues. If we want to understand uh, obesity, it's um, one of those conditions that probably isn't as well understood as we would like it to be. There's a lot of preconception, a lot of prejudice about being lazy and, and ignorant and so on. All that is very, it's, it's rife and um, there isn't really much science behind that. This paper is um, a very interesting one. It's talking about adipocyte dynamics. I just want to spend a very, very short time on trying to clarify that this really is uh, a condition that has its uh, origins very early in life. You can see here from this the number of fat cells that people have. People with the obese phenotype usually have a very elevated fat cell count uh, trajectory and, and therefore also a body weight trajectory which is very elevated compared to lean people. And this is from age two but it's probably from uh, already from gestational age or even um, before, you know, the, the kind of inheritance from your parents and possibly grandparents. If we go through uh, bariatric surgery, people lose weight, but they don't lose their fat cell count. They will remain at an elevated level. And if you want to check out the work of Sylvie Cunningham, she's been doing a lot of work, interesting work on the incidence of obesity which is very high early in life. So we usually try to focus on the first five years or even the first 1,000 days. And that is really the most critical period, uh, maybe with the exception of the gestational period when it comes to the origin, or you can say the beginnings of obesity. Another, a bit more physiological slide, but if you try to diet, if you develop obesity and you go on a diet, you can see from this slide that People can lose weight. This is the famous uh, study on, on from Biggest Loser participants. You can see how they lose weight after 30 weeks, a lot of weight, and then they regain. And you can see, crucially, reductions, very pronounced and long-term re reductions in uh, energy expenditure. This indicates that you can, in fact, uh, really create a lot of problems for yourself uh, through excessive dieting. It will make it just very difficult to maintain weight loss or even weight stability, which is 
leading more and more people, including myself, to the conclusion that dieting is not just ineffective, but it is in fact counterproductive. And the issue is to really understand, well, why do people develop obesity in the first place? And once we identify the causes of obesity, then we should be able to prevent it much better than we are. Hopefully we will also be able to have and develop much more effective treatment for obesity, because I think we can agree that bariatric surgery is not an ideal treatment for obesity. We just need something much safer, uh, more accessible and so on. And there's a lot of problems with bariatric surgery anyway, uh, adverse events and uh, weight regain. So you probably recognize this slide, uh, Wilkinson and, and Pickett. And it's really uh, fascinating to me how the you know, social adversity, you could say, really is so strongly correlated with a lot of really terrible effects, you can say, on life expectancy, literacy, and uh, so on mental health, including obesity. And you can see how this is related uh, to a very large extent, at least in this slide, to income inequality. So here you have the market liberal countries generally here on the right, and then you have Nordic countries and Japan, less inequality, and we have fewer, you could say, social problems. So this is just, uh, if we can address uh, social issues in our societies, then we really could make inroads, not just with disease, but also with a lot of these other really severe problems that we uh, are facing to create a more sustainable, healthy society. So we're getting closer to the obesity question. And um, before I go into it, I just, uh, this is such a brilliant study, I think, by Vincent Felitti from, uh, and co-workers from California, uh, showing how the, the, the influence of social factors really are very profound. This is not a particularly cheerful slide to look at, so apologies. But um, if you look at the, here you can see, this is a retrospective analysis asking adults, you know, what was your childhood like and did you experience childhood abuse? I know it's a very grim topic, but it does happen. And it's not something that we should um, keep quiet about. Just look at the odds ratios here of um, children who have experienced a lot of childhood abuse uh, in their lives. You can see really very, very severe uh, increases in risk. And it's not, it's not common really in epidemiology or any other disciplines to see these types of risks uh, for you know, attempted suicide or using drugs, alcoholism and so on. And including a lot of the somatic diseases that we're big chronic diseases that we are treating today. So they really, really indicates a very profound social influence, social adversity influence on multiple adverse outcomes. And why not obesity? Figures like this one, I find uh, really fascinating that uh, we find very consistent associations with the socioeconomic position and obesity. This is in children 45 years old. This is data from the UK. You can see how a very uh, clear association with children living in a deprived area versus a more affluent area. Here, here's the most deprived, uh, and you can see a very high prevalence. And here, here are the affluent areas, much lower uh, prevalence of uh, childhood obesity. And particularly for severe obesity uh, in children, you can see here, here are the uh, poor neighborhoods, here are the affluent neighborhoods, and you can see very striking consistent gradients, almost four times uh, as much in um, the most deprived areas. Uh, the worst example I've seen uh, from this, uh, Michael Goran tweeted something a few years ago, that was data from LA, the prevalence of childhood obesity in Beverly Hills was 5%, whereas in Eastern Los Angeles, which is 
much more deprived, uh, the prevalence was 40, 40%, so eight times as much. Those data have been updated. If you Google childhood obesity LA, you will find an, an LA County report. And if you go through a very long list of uh, different regions of LA, you, you will find that there is now a tenfold difference in childhood obesity between the, you know, the, the, the worst off versus the least worst off. So I think it was something like 3.8% uh, lowest and 38% highest, really quite remarkable and very closely linked to economic hardship, unsurprisingly. So when we find these kind of very consistent associations between, for example, if you have, if you experience financial hardship with the development of obesity, I think it's important for everyone to really scratch their heads and, and try to understand, well, why? What is the in-between factors between, you could say, poverty and development of obesity? And obviously, it's going to be multifactorial. This is one of the first or one of my first attempts at uh, trying to bring some kind of thought or uh, the creation of a theoretical model for how this could be, how, you know, obesity can develop as a result of um, social adversity or socioeconomic disadvantage, which um, is this kind of uh, waterfall figure cascading into eventually obesity through a series of steps where you know, the, 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 it's really about the family environment, you know, the children growing up in, a, in, a, in an insecure environment, triggering things like chronic stress, which has been heavily implicated in the development of obesity. Uh, and really, in many ways, it's um, about not being so well looked after during those early years and uh, very likely um, not a particularly socially harmonious situation during pregnancy and so on. And then everything just cascades really from there to more psychological and emotional factors, which was really what I wanted to focus on in this model, uh, but also translating into more physiological effects, effects on appetite, for example, cognitive impairment, reduced energy expenditure, and so on. There's a lot of, oh, not a lot, but there is very interesting research on how prolonged stress uh, influences uh, energy expenditure, which is quite fascinating. Uh, a lady from the US, uh, Janice Kai-Colt-Glaser, has done a lot of interesting work uh, in this field. You can check her out. But it's really, you know, if you, if you look at this figure, it, it really starts, you know, with social factors translating into the offspring or being transferred to the offspring. And then it just uh, goes from there, really. And then... In obesity, there's very often the case that we have uh, circular causality and uh, once you develop obesity, then social adversity becomes more likely through stigma, for example, uh, and other, you could say, social penalties uh, that obesity um, is associated with. So this was a really fun thing to do uh, to, to write this paper because it, I should mention perhaps that during this time, and I, I had been working for in a clinical treatment facility for 13 years at uh, KI in Stockholm. And during that time, I had a lot of patient interaction and uh, meeting severely obese adults and just listening to their stories. You know, what are they telling you? They're, they're telling me things like they have um, all kinds of social problems, social challenges. And um, 
eventually those stories just started to grate somehow, or I should say maybe inspire me to, to look more closely into what they were saying. Because at this time, people were still very wedded to the very simplistic caloric model, which is totally naive to many of these physiological changes that we see happening. For example, in the slide that I showed you previously on how metabolism changes when you diet. So it, it, you know, talking about calories, it's just, it's so simplistic and it's so flawed that it's, it, it's just um, not very helpful at all. But failure can be good in a way because we really have to understand, well, well, why are we failing in these conventional treatment programs? And I, for me, it was really about, well, we don't really understand the causes as well as we should. And we still don't, I think. There are still many mysteries to untangle here. And then here's a, a, a very recent, or this is in fact an ongoing project with Stanley and uh, Paulina Novicia, which is uh, Stanley's former postdoc now working in Uppsala here in Sweden and Torkel Sorensen from Copenhagen. Uh, we are working on a model of, on social adversity or rather the, the working name of this paper is the social origins of obesity, the same as this talk. So Stanley hasn't seen this uh, slide yet. It'll be interesting to hear his take on it. But what we want to do with this, this is the kind of macro view of the model. It's obviously very important to, if, we, if we're talking about obesity, there's going to be, like with most chronic diseases, going to be a combination of genetic and social factors and lifestyle. But I think in, in the case of obesity, uh, there's a lot of genetic influence uh, modulated, uh, it's epigenetic modulation, really how the environment uh, influences gene expression, which is quite pronounced. But it's also this deadly combination of having a, a, a strong genetic inheritance that some children have uh, combined with social adversity early in life. Apologies, I mean, this, you, you can, I'm not sure that you can see this, but it's, um, this is the kind of early, the, the, really the origin, you could say, of uh, how obesity can develop from a social point of view. Obviously, obesity can have uh, uh, much more, many more causes uh, than these, but this is the kind of area that we're focusing on. So it's really about social and genetic inheritance. This is where we inherit our genes, but we also have a very pronounced social inheritance. So I don't think we talk about this often enough. Uh, you know, what kind of environment uh, did you grow up in? And especially if it's, if it's in a poorer neighborhood, if, if your parents are struggling with uh, financially, maybe with mental health. And, and this very strong theme throughout obesity, uh, the theme of insecurity. And uh, I know Stanley's done lots of work on this and, and probably uh, many of you have done work on insecurity as well. But this, to me, really pinpoints uh, it, this is such a key issue, insecurity. A lot of it is really related to financial insecurity, but there, there can be other types of insecurities. But financial is certainly uh, one of the bigger ones. So that's part A of the model. You can see very going through this very quickly now. Part B is more how insecurity and chronic stress become more manifest. It's interesting that the HPA axis is very sensitive to social influences. Uh, and evaluative influences. So that's, that's certainly very relevant to obesity and uh, cortisol heavily implicated in, in development of obesity. 
uh, and so on. So this really sets you up for what I mentioned previously. Um, I don't think there's any study on this, but it would be very interesting if there were. I talked about adipocyte proliferation early in life, how, how some children really get on this elevated body weight trajectory as a result of uh, insecurity and chronic stress. And then part C of the model is really when, you know, the, the, the process has started and then it's over time, it's just going to get stronger and stronger. And then we have another hugely interesting topic, uh, which is stigma, social stress and stigma. The stigma of obesity is just, it's very profound. I mean, I'm, it really influences at a very deep and very long lasting level. Uh, usually people will experience stigma. It can start in childhood, maybe an insensitive comment from a parent or a, or a teacher, whoever, someone from the healthcare system. And this is this, this, this really is, can lead you down into very dark roads uh, in terms of uh, eating disorders and body dissatisfaction, social penalties, and et cetera, et cetera. It really is I was going to say torture, not quite torture, but it is maybe some kind of low-grade psychological torture. I don't know. I haven't really, unless you've been there, I don't really think you can say how bad this is. But if you look at the research and what patients are telling us, then this is, this is bad. Another key issue uh, of this model, which I think is really important to encompass as well, is the intergenerational transmission of obesity risk factors. So this was kind of what I wanted to illustrate with the, this part of the figure, how you have part A leading to part B in a kind of linear manner, then part C, and then it feeds back on itself. So this is the progression of risk factors throughout the life course. And this is, this is a, a, a kind of life course model, which I think is, uh, is, is appropriate in trying to piece together this kind of social adversity puzzle. And then you have the feedback loop of intergenerational. Um, intergenerational transmission. And when I, when I looked at this, I'm not, this is probably not going to be the published model. I'm showing you a work in progress. Uh, Stanley and Torkel and Paulina haven't had any input on this uh, yet. Uh, so this is likely to change a little bit. Um, uh, so bear that in mind. But when, you, when I look at this, what seems to become clearer and clearer, if you kind of read this in between the lines, is that a lot of it is related to unmet social and psychological needs. So children have needs, obviously, all humans have needs. We can talk a lot about the negative influences, but it's really also about the lack of uh, very basic needs. Security, for example, that's, that's a basic need. We don't perhaps talk as much about social needs as, for example, well, you know, food and bed and home. But it's, it's really about trying to minimize this insecurity and the many dif different aspects of insecurity that I see in my head becoming uh, a strong theme. So unmet social and psychological needs. And I, also, if you remember the study by Felitti and co-workers on childhood abuse, a lot of those outcomes like alcoholism, drug abuse and so on, or be, being incarcerated, I imagine that people have a lot of social, unmet social and psychological needs. Uh, not just adversity. It's uh, be very interesting to hear your thoughts on uh, this very rough draft uh, of um, social adversity. I think what's going to happen next is that we take part A, B and C and make them a bit more detailed. This is just an over, uh, like a macro figure really uh, of uh, what we're trying to demonstrate. So 
I'm really coming to the end of my talk here, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts and ideas about all this. But I, I think here are just some, some of the really interesting papers for you to have a look at if you haven't already. I'm sure many of you are already familiar with this, but the study by Inge Lissau and Torgit Sørensen is really one of, one of the first studies, I would say, that really tied social adversity to the development of obesity in the mid-90s. And this must have been a... <laughs> I know Torgit, he was, he was quite shocked when he, when he uh, did the analysis. And they were looking at parental neglect. Uh, I don't know what kind of theory they had. Inge Lissau was a dentist. She had some kind of record from Copenhagen, I think, on, I don't know where she got the neglect data from, but uh, somehow they got a hold of this data set and they were, uh, I think Torkil, uh, it was his idea really to, to look at this. And the odds ratios of neglected children, and they were, neglect was determined by proxy from the children's teacher. So there was no kind of bias that way from parents. And uh, as you can see here, the odds ratio is just 7.1, it's very, very high. And dirty and neglected children had a much greater risk of adult obesity uh, with an odds ratio of almost 10. This is not very common to see these kind of uh, odds ratios, very, very high. I think this was a very important study for me and I'm sure for many others to, to really, okay, so there's neglect, neglected children. Why is that linked with obesity? Here's a paper that Stanley knows very well. Maybe you've even talked about it uh, during uh, this seminar series. But uh, another really interesting paper, really, again, highlighting the role of insecurity. And Stanley, you can talk more about this perhaps uh, in the Q&A. But um, it really, um, looking at how obesity varies under welfare regimes and uh, uh, really putting the spotlight on insecurity. Janet Tomiyama, she's done a lot of wonderful work uh, in California, looking at the stigma aspect, among uh, other things, and also how, the, how dieting really can, can make things a lot worse. And then Mary Dolman, again, also from California, looking at stress uh, and obesity. The, the, a lot of people have looked at stress, and, and really it is uh, very heavily implicated in, in weight gain through changes in metabolism, but perhaps more than anything, also changes in appetite. So stress-induced eating is, is a, certainly a major issue uh, that uh, I know Tomiyama has mentioned in this a lot as well. Some wonderful papers there to have a look at. So to summary, uh, summarize, I would say there, there are absolutely huge misconceptions about body weight regulation. I mean, it, it starts early in life. This is not about having a weak character, lacking character, being stupid, being lazy. For me, social adversity and insecurity really is at the core of why people start to gain weight. Uh, yes, there are many different ways to develop obesity and it's gonna be multifactorial, uh, always with a genetic component, an epigenetic influence, uh, but then also social influence early in life, usually. And this appears to play a really critical role in, um, especially for severe obesity, you have more social adversity, it seems. Uh, that's, that's an idea, a theory at least. Uh, uh, but certainly the, the data seems to, uh, seem to suggest so. Uh, social factors play an absolutely profound role in obesity, etiology, just as it does with alcoholism, drug abuse, and 
many other health challenges, uh, including heart disease, respiratory diseases. I mean, things that really, you know, the, the major chronic diseases, uh, social factors just play uh, an absolutely uh, immense role. And critically, very early in the in the disease process. So if if we want to prevent disease, then we really need to get involved as early as we can because it, it is a bit like a snowball rolling downhill really and, and we need to stop it as soon as we can. So so give people a fighting chance, especially perhaps in countries like the UK and especially the US, more market liberal countries where it, it really is a challenge to stay healthy in many ways not just because of the food environment, which I haven't talked about, which has gone through immense changes with the strong implications for obesity, but it's uh, changes in the social environment. It's interesting, for example, that rates of obesity really started to increase when Thatcher became PM in the UK and Reagan in the US. I've had that explained to me, and um, I think both of them were, were a bit famous for dismantling all of the social security systems. You could say it's social safety nets were removed. The challenge of obesity stigma is one that is just increasing and increasing and increasing. And very few people, at least among those who decide anything, appear to be willing to hear about this problem. Patients have been speaking about this for decades to their clinicians. Unfortunately, the clinicians are heavily implicated in weight stigma and discrimination. So there's, there are quite profound problems in healthcare, as there is uh, in schools with weight stigma, workplaces, it's just rife. And uh, it's completely unacceptable. It's resting on prejudice and many just stupid ideas that self-inflicted and uh, people should just get a grip and uh, lose weight. Well, unfortunately, that is not going to happen. I mean, that is a very naive idea that, that people can just lose weight very easily and keep it off. I love the quote by Einstein that, you know, the, the height of stupidity is repeating the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. And we have tried the dieting path, you know, for decades. And now it really is time to do something else. But it starts with a more friendly word, world, you could say, where, where stigma is confined to the dustbin of history as soon as possible. Those were my slides and uh, I'm be very interested to hear uh, what you will make of this. Thank you very much.